Good afternoon, morning, evening. It's I'm probably correct at any given time because you're all over the world. But for me, my schedule's all screwed up. Johnny's been telling me, you know, Johnny and I used to do this show every Friday morning for me in the United States. And I think, what are you, what are you, four or five hours? Yeah, it's Friday. It used to be Friday afternoons for me, but I like to keep your wheels spinning, James. And we sometimes do it Wednesdays. We've done it Thursdays. Yeah, you got me all over the place. And <laughs> you, nobody's going to be pushing me around. <laughs> this is what. Well, welcome to Digital Bytes. For Digital it's, Bytes. Uh, That's this what is we're based doing. on 27th of April, 2022. And we've just, we've just actually had a bit of a chat off air about NFTs because uh, it just seems to be dominating the space. It's, a, it's a, an asset, uh, a token, a loyalty program. It's, it can be used as all sorts of different things. Solves world but, hunger. Well, and it, yeah, it solves world hunger and world hunger, and it's great for the unbanked, and it can do carbon credit tracking, oh, all sorts of stuff. Actually, after the break, we've got Grant Blazer. He's come back. He was on the show a couple of months ago, and he's from he's from Copernic Space, and he's telling you how you can buy an NFT and get access to investing in space. You know, up up in the moon, up in the stars. So now and NFTs maybe- are NFTs are literally rocket science rocket science out of this world so yeah you can you can buy an nft and perhaps you can then have access to i don't know a payload on a um it's going to be a, a, a vehicle it's going to be roaming around the world next uh around, sorry around the moon um in q1 hopefully 2023 or you can buy an nft that maybe gives you access to 50 100 thousand images from a satellite all, all sorts of things but that, that's that's grant from Copernic coming up after the break but just for any new listeners, this is the Digital Byte Show on Cyber.fm. James and I record this every week to really just give a, a snapshot of some of the different things that are happening with blockchain technology and digital assets. And, and James, what, what are the different stories we've got this week apart from Copernic Space? Well, like you said, the whole NFT hype, everybody's... I, I think every show we do now, there's mention of an NFT. That's for sure. You know, but, yeah. but this article had some other little... I am very passionate about doxing and anonymity. And I'd like to cover that. People are going to go, oh, James. I'm a doxed dev. We all know this. I've gotten the the most amazing hate mail. I've literally gotten mail, like cut up newspaper clippings, like a Stephen King movie from 89. (laughs) Because I'm doxed. But it doesn't bother me. I got that that personality where... We'll we'll cover the doxing. We'll cover Um, the doxing. This is all about your identity. Um, and then um, we might not get a chance, but we've also got an article this week about um, blockchains um, and how they're being used in the energy industry. And so um, we've got a number of articles. And, and if it, we basically um, are, are sort of scouring and combing various different global publications, looking at how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets and digital assets cover a vast range, you know, cryptos, NFT, DeFi, digital equity, digital real estate, digital commodities, digital currencies, you know, it could be stable coins, CBDCs. And, and what we're trying to do is we're, we're not giving financial advice. We're not trying to promote or recommend or sell anything, but we're simply saying, look, are you aware of this is happening? That's going on. And, and let's start off with doxing. Cause I have to be honest, doxing wasn't something I was super familiar with. I'm, I'm not a, a oh. techie geek like yourself, James, but tell, tell us what doxing is all about, mate. So, and, and doxing, from what I could tell, it, it's derived from politics, right? You know, like congressmen in America, anyway, they like to, you don't want to know where Nancy Pelosi lives. 
And the minute that you find out, you're out telling all the world. Look at this house, <laughs> right? And musicians, like artists, they, they need their privacy. And then they get doxxed. So what it means is their documents are released. Their, yeah. their, their social security number, their driver's license, whatever it might be. Information that you don't need to know about your local politician or celebrity. But it's out there to cause grief, maybe. And it's, it does have a negative connotation to it. I yeah. think it has a positive connotation to it as well. Like I said, I'm a docs dev. People know where I live. They know my BMW. They know my truck. You know, and I brag about it. I have fun. Uh, it doesn't bother me that people know. And I like to think that you should be able to trust me better because I'm out there. I'm transparent, much like the blockchain industry should be, right? I'm an open yep. book. So when we dock somebody, we know everything about them. And we know that they probably, in crypto, we are assuming that they won't do anything wrong or rogue. Because obviously you could be arrested, get sued, you know. You, uh, the SEC might know about you, so you're going to be on your best behavior. A lot of crypto projects, like any coin, you know, Bitcoin, but nobody knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. He's probably the best example. And then you got Vitalik Buterin. I destroy his name all the time, but it's Buterin. Vitalik <laughs> created Ethereum. These are the absolute extreme opposites of doxing. We may never know who Satoshi is. I got a few tinfoil hat ideas, but that's the best that they'll ever be. But everybody knows Vitalik. We know where he went to school. We know how old he was when he created ETH. The foundation that, that the Ethereum Foundation is now, you know, you can mail them. So they're doxxed. Satoshi is not doxxed. So what happens? Here's my question to you, Johnny. Uh, I'm going to sell the hot new Johnny coin and Johnny coin is going to make everybody rich. And uh, you're just going to have to hold it. But it's, trust me, the tokenomics are great and it's all in DeFi. And you could take my word on it. My name is slant634.doge. Do you trust me? That's the problem. And that's why we wrote the article. Because in the normal, well, I say the normal, historically, if you were going to invest in, let's say, you know, you're going to invest your money with, with Johnny, um, you'd want to know, well, who are you, Johnny? Where do you come from? Um, have you, what's your track record? Have you done this sort of thing before? If you have done it, where have you done it before? Whatever it may, I don't know, selling cars or building a, building a rocket to go to the moon. Um, I'd like a little bit of track record, but so many of the crypto project were just, you know, oh, well, it's Johnny Fry. Well, where do you live? Well, he just lives in the, he lives somewhere and you've got no track record and no information. And it's like, why do people give and, and we're not talking about just you know, a few thousand dollars or pounds or yen or euro. We're talking about tens of millions people are giving um, to, if you like, different digital asset projects. And you know nothing really about the people behind them. Look, just go on to you. Look at, you know, there's 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 tens of thousands of digital coins, cryptocurrencies out there. Go onto their website and go on and click contact us. And what contact us mean doesn't mean, oh, we'll give you a, an address where the registered office is. Oh, no, no, no. Just, you just got to give them your email and they'll, they'll then come back to you. You've got no idea. You've got a phone number. You've got, you don't know where they're based. You don't know anything about them. And so therefore, one level, doxing, I releasing the information about who Johnny Fry is and where he live and give some sort of credibility. On the face of it, well, that sounds really good and really helpful because then I can check him out and I can look him up. And, you know, to be fair, if you go on to my LinkedIn profile, you know, you've got an email address there, you've got my mobile phone number there, and I'm, I'm pretty open. But there's a lot of people on 
in this space that you can't find anything about them. You don't know how to get hold of them. People hate it if you telephone them. They don't want to give out any emails. And it's kind of like, well, what, what are you trying to hide? But then, James, you've had this problem personally where you've been effectively hacked because people know that you set up um, Cyber.fm with your colleagues and potentially you're holding a whole load of um, crypto, you know, Cyber.fm tokens. And therefore, let's hack James because he could be worth a lot of money and we're going to get all his tokens. So I can understand at one level why people want anonymity, but another level, you've got that issue of, well, how do I, how can I trust this guy? If you won't even tell me who you are, how do I know she's any good or he's, is, is it he or she or him or it? I don't know. It's just a name and I don't think about them. So I can see arguments on both sides of, of uh, and, th- and th- this kind of whole argument then leads into digital identity. And you actually don't need to know my national insurance number or social security number or my passport number or um, where I was born. You don't need to know that. What you do need to know is that, are you genuine? You know, if you're going to sell me some sex, drugs and rock and roll, typically, are you of, of age that you're entitled to be able to buy that, depending on which country you live in? You know, you've got this crazy situation in America. You let 15 year olds drive a car. I just don't get that. Yet, you know, you can't vote until you're 21 or something crazy. As we have the rules, you can't buy cigarettes or alcohol till you're over 18. And so we all have our sort of funny rules and regulations, but you don't need to know all of the information about the individual, but you just need to know. And that's where a digital identity, I think that's where self-sovereign identity in particular plays in because it's basically saying, I will give you the information that you need I won't give you all of my information. Just let, let's be clear. Logic. Let me interrupt you for one second. Make sure we have a responsibility here to say, don't ever dox someone. That would actually no. be illegal uh, to an extent. There's certain ways where it's not illegal, but fall to the idea that it's illegal. You don't want to dox somebody. You just want them to proactively dox themselves. If we're talking about investing money in my opinion, but don't do the bad thing of doing a deep dive on somebody and showing up at their house, right? Don't dock somebody. That's, there's laws about that as well. But there is an element of customer feedback, you know, i.e. I've been ripped off by this company or these individuals and p- putting those details into the public domain, whether that be on Telegram or Discord groups or Reddit or Twitter or, you know, this is, this is a bad company or this is a bad individual. So that that is giving information out. But then whether you then go on and say, well, I've managed to get his inside leg measurement or I've managed to find out, you know, what she wears on a Tuesday. And I'm going to tell you all this personal information. Uh, there's a there's a fine line. It's, it's a judgment call for sure. But if it feels wrong, it might be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you so, know, yes, if, I, if what... I sue you, Johnny, if you and I go to court, you're going to be able to look on the Internet. Johnny Fry, 123 Main Street, Delaware. You know, it's going to be it's public record then. But if I go on Reddit and go, Johnny lives at 123 Main Street, go get him. There's problems there. Well, it's interesting talking to lawyers around um, GDPRI data protection. And most of the lawyers I've spoken to about this, they're saying, look, if, if someone's email address is on LinkedIn, it's in the public domain. So therefore, you can use that email to communicate and talk to them. If they don't want your information, then you have to remove them. But there's nothing to stop you using information in the public domain, eye on LinkedIn, to actually make communications to people. So that's not doxing, but it's you've you've given the information out there, and it's freely usable. So it's um it's not black and white, but it is something which you know doxing can create a lot a lot of hassle, a lot of problems. But a bit like yourself, there, James. You know what are you trying to hide? If you're trying to do something athlete legit, you're trying to be open, 
honest and truthful. I think most people want a little bit more information about who they're getting involved with rather than just a, a name on a, on a sheet of paper or on, on a digital sort of screen. Maybe I'm older, but I just don't imagine myself ever contacting a VC and saying, hey, uh, I need $14 million to launch this campaign. It's going to be great. You're going to be loaded. You're going to be rich. Um, but I can't tell you my name. I would never do that, you know. But but just out of interest, any listeners, if you're if you are concerned about doxing and you want to know more, um, we we found quite an interesting article on Slate.com and also Nord VPN. They also give some quite interesting, useful tips um, how you might want to protect yourself from being being doxed. Um, so they're 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 all in this week's digital bytes, and as you know, we we put hyperlinks so you can just click on that and then. You can go to those different sites, and it'll tell you a little bit more about about all of that. And I but, mean, that, but the other article, James. That, I was gonna, um, I was gonna bring you into the other article. <laughs> which one? You want to look at the non-fungible overnight fortune? I was gonna bring in the energy industry. Is that where you're going? Yeah, yeah. See, because... I was gonna say you don't want to be doxxed uh, if you're just some guy whose job is to resell renewable energy back into the grid. <laughs> See, yeah, you ruined it for me, though. Go ahead. Uh, well, no, no, it's 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 again. You know, I must admit, I was, I was a little bit irritated this week. There was a um, journalist um, on Twitter and uh, sorry, on LinkedIn. And he was saying, oh, I'm fed up with hearing about blockchain this and blockchain that. You give me one good example of why we need to keep hearing about this stupid technology. I it, it's those not been used anywhere for any good at all. And I think actually, you know, you're a professional. You're earning a living from being a journalist. Therefore, in theory, you're, you're a professional because you're being paid for your job. And, you know, you need to engage your, your brain first before you get your pen out. And in the energy sector in particular, there's a number of great examples. Nothing to do with finance, nothing to do with digital art and, you know, board eight yacht clubs and that sort of stuff. This is where the technology is being used very much to make an industry much much more efficient and 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 examples of where sort of blockchain powered platforms are being used you know to, to you know we, we had sunafed come on a couple of weeks ago and they were talking about uh, effectively using blockchain technology to monitor the amount of power being generated off solar panels um every 30 seconds so they so you could verify where the energy's come from and perhaps that solar panel was working so for a uh, maintenance um, point of view they could get their engineers to go and sort out particular things like that so to certify the source of green energy is, is obviously something really, really good, but also helping to make the energy grid much, much more accessible by sharing data in real time um, and making it more efficient, but also enabling transactions. So if I've got a solar power on, on, on my roof and I want to be able to sell it um, to my neighbor, you know, using the technology, there's absolutely no reason why I can't actually sell it to the neighbor. And then, you know, and if, if we've got, a, you know, if I've got a private wire that goes from my house to, um, my neighbor's house well that's just a transaction between us and i can get a much better rate by selling it to my neighbor than selling it back to the grid which means i can speed up the time it takes to repay the capital installation and i'm helping the environment because we're, bu- we're burning less fossil fuels to for electricity because mine's solar power and so is my now my neighbor so we, they, we can see how we go from being a consumer to a prosumer and, and this got us looking, um, I'm sorry, it's a little bit UK centric, this article, but we were looking at where the electricity comes from. And there's a site um, for the UK called uh, grid.iamkate.com, bit of a funny old name, but literally it shows you every 30 minutes 
the breakdown of where the electricity for the UK is coming from. And we did a snapshot early this week, and it was unfortunately about 50, 54% fossil fuels. You know, so that was um, mainly mainly coming from, from gas. But if you look at it, we've got, um, you know, 16% from nuclear, um, nearly 8% from biomass, which is like wood chips or sort of biodegradable material producing sort of methanol. But we had 10% solar, 5% nearly in wind. So you can see how the mix in the UK, nothing from oil, nothing from coal. And if we'd have gone back probably no more than three or four years ago, you'd have seen coal could have been there as much as 20%. So it's interesting to see where that information or where the generation, and I should imagine over the next five years, we'll see renewable energy and other energy being much, much greater than they are in fossil, our reliance on fossil fuels will actually decrease as, as it is in certainly in your country. You've got a lot of nuclear where you live, haven't you, James? I learned a lot about nuclear when I moved south. So and I was thinking about, I wish I could find a website similar. I, it'd be funny in the United States, it's probably, you know, I'm just a village idiot, but coal, oil, gas, and then nuclear, right? Solar seems to be very privatized here. I could be wrong, but when I think of wind and hydro, I always think of like Switzerland, Sweden, you you know, company, countries up there. But huge in Texas is a huge amount of wind and solar in Texas, which is why you got so many Bitcoin miners. Yeah, we got those windmills, but they're controversial here too. And now, I don't know, people are talking about windmills are, I don't know enough, but I know that we're getting a lot of FUD regarding the wind. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, of course, well, I, I, my understanding is that you've got to run about 60% from fossil fuels. 20% from nuclear and 20% from renewables. So ah, I mean, I, you might be, yeah, I'd love to know. I would love yeah. to know. But I've, now that I'm in a nuclear state, it's almost like I'm, I'm numb to it. The rates are amazing. And the power is, it really is amazing nuclear power as a, as a consumer. Yeah, yeah. So that, so that, was, that was really, the, you know, that article we were, we were looking. But it's not just in electricity. There, there's, there's, a, there's, other, there's other ways it's being used in the sort of energy industry and um, we've got consensus highlighted in a number of different cases, but we've got things like Comgo and VACT um, and DT ledgers. And these are all being used by petrochemical firms and they're using blockchain technology to make them much more efficient in terms of, um, you know, they're typically extracting sort of fossil fuels, whether it be gas or oil, which is a lot of and used to generate um, energy. And they're using the technology to help their supply chains be more efficient and how they handle um, their sort of power requirements. So, um, yeah, it it was interesting to see the various different ways um, and the main benefits of using the technology in the industry to reduce costs, improve efficiency, environmental sustainability, transparency and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I I quite like the quote we found from Deloitte um, that highlighted the technology can help in trading, regulatory reporting, compliance, and supplying global networks. So this is something from a regulatory point of view. um, And once the regulators get involved, you tend to find um, adoption because they say, look, if you can do it in another way, great. But if you can't, then you need to use these systems and procedures that can give us the data information that we need. Uh, uh, Otherwise, you know, we're we're potentially going to find you. So once you've got the regulatory side and the bodies on, on board, then you know you're going to see much more adoption. So very much so blockchain technology is being actively used in the energy industry. Yeah, and there is a, a quick blurb about my favorite uh, electric vehicle charging, right? So if you combine, there's two aspects with EV charging now that we're seeing in renewable energy, which is called vehicle to grid, where the vehicle 
is pumping its electricity back into the grid, no differently than if you had solar panels on your home. And then you have people say, well, why should I do that? Because it's circular. I still have to buy it back. And then I thought about, well, you got peer-to-peer. If you're vehicle to grid, that's the future tow truck. You break down, let's say for whatever reason, you run out of battery because you didn't plan accordingly. The tow truck would show up and plug into you. And that's a peer-to-peer trade of energy. So even on that down to, this covers corporate billion billionaire corporate corporations or just the self-employed tow truck driver and are we all facilitated by having a mutual ledger run yes. on a blockchain typically absolutely Brilliant. james I'm, I'm mindful we've coming up to the break and after the break as i said we've got grant blaisdell from Cobonic space and he's going to be telling us about investing in space assets and i, th- I think uh, in the article they talk about uh, morgan grenville who was sorry um, who actually um, the reckon the market could be worth a trillion dollars. So not Morgan Grenville, Morgan Stanley reckon space assets could be worth a trillion dollars by 2040. So it's a growing asset class in its own right um, with all sorts of interesting opportunities to um, for people to look at and consider. And he is a repeat customer for us, right? I have to go he find is. the old article. He certainly is. Um, but obviously, if, if, you, if you're listening and would like a copy of Digital Bytes, we send out every Wednesday. Uh, in the morning UK time. So that's depending on where you are. It could be uh, midnight uh, um, on a Tuesday or it could be sort of late afternoon. Um, if you're in Australia, I've got a number of listeners I know and readers down in Australia. So good day to you, having just come back there a couple of weeks ago. So um, just contact either James Tiley at cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and we'll put you on the list and we'll happily send you copies of Digital Bytes once a week as we produce them. Or you can just listen to us on cyber.fm and get your own cryptocurrency from courtesy of James and his team, and you can be paid to listen. And that is something which I think we're going to see a lot more companies doing as part of their loyalty programs. I feel like our podcast is the Cliff's Note version of the Digital Bytes newsletter. <laughs> something like that. We should do like a mystery. Hey, remember Mystery Science Theater 3000? We should do mystery one of those. Science. <laughs> Have a couple okay. of puppets sit back and mock us while we discuss crypto. <laughs> All right, James. Well, we'll be back after the break. And... Um... Yep. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You are listening to the brand spanking new cyber.fm. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Johnny spent the half the break picking on me. And, but being, I feel like my voice is better. Last week, I, I was like Liza Minnelli. And we were making jokes about George Takai with, oh my. And now, you're mocking me about my coughing and my microphone. And my fans know that I'm practically dying. So live with it. Uh, we're bringing in more space stuff, huh? It was George Takai yeah. last week, and now you got a real one. We're, Absolutely. We're delighted to uh, welcome Grant Blaisdell back from... Uh... Spe- Copernic Space, um, for regular listeners, you remember he was on a couple of months ago um, and written an interesting article this week, A New Wealth Frontier Emerges, Space Industry-Related Assets, and it's flipping NFTs have cropped up again, James. But, but Grant, welcome to the show, and um, what have you been up to since we spoke to you last? Thanks for having me again, and, and uh, James deserved to be picked on. I will stand by that. <laughs> um, Everybody's uh, picking on me. Was, uh, no, I was, I was great. Thanks for having me once again, and and look forward to telling you guys a little bit more 
obviously about our progress since we last spoke and and kind of how this this new asset class and uh, the application of this technology has even grown uh, in the past couple months since we spoke. So I'm um, looking forward to it. Now, I think the article, my, so, I personally think the article was, I was right there the minute you had the, not everything is sunshine and apes. I was like, thank you, God. Yeah, because you start, you start the article talking about, obviously, Board 8 Yacht Club and all the stuff that's been going on, grabbing the headlines in the NFT world. So, so what have NFTs got to do with investing in space? Uh, well, there's two sides to it. There's uh, creation of, uh, let's say, a digital standard for just commercialization in space overall and, and turning those into what we call true space assets. And we apply NFTs for that. And then there's the financing end, which can also use NFTs in various ways. And we look at NFTs as not the value or the asset itself, which is kind of how the perception is or how you see it in today's market uh, with a lot of projects. Um, Ours is more of it's used as a vehicle and as an application that provides certain benefits and features for businesses and, and users alike. Um, so, you know, our, how I began that article and it's, it's not even commentary on board apes specifically, cause that's obviously a very advanced project doing, you know, pretty advanced things in the space, mm-hmm. uh, but more so that, that this NFT market is also going to mature and transition into where just NFTs are used as a backbone of this new digital economy. You know, people, a lot of people just say web three, um, so, so we, we feel that we represent this, what you're going to see in the very near future, which is a lot of these <clears throat> NFT projects we're seeing today, the way it's being done today is going to pop in a certain way, right? And certain amounts of projects that are providing real value, usability, technology, utility, et cetera, are going to make it out the other end, right? And you saw something similar in the dot-com boom for example. So there's, there's, you know, it's kind of a repetition of history in various, various manners around that. So we feel that we represent, you know, this next coming age of platforms that really serve as the foundation for the activity in the digital economy. And, you know, you can compare that to some of the web two players that came out and are still around and and very influential uh, that came out of the dot-com bubble. It's interesting you should talk about dot com because um, it was doing some work for a client earlier this week and we referred to Marianne Antoinette, um, who you may remember. Um, she was the ex queen of uh, France and she came out with an interesting statement Nothing is new but what has been forgotten. I, if you look at history in the same way you just mentioned dot com and look what happened in dot com and I think it does have some very strong parallels with what, certainly what's happening in the sort of digital asset space. And so sometimes you can look back in time and actually you get a sneak of what might be um, coming around the corner at you. But um, I, I well, just, as, I'm, as, I, I'm, for example, as a musician, what you said, you know, also fits, I view music that way. So <clears throat> there's, it's in the sense of it's very hard for something to really be completely new and original. Pretty much everything has some basis in, in something else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, whether it's funny cause people like, you know, comparing crypto to the, to the, you know, tulip mania in, in, in Holland. And I, I find that to be just very inaccurate comparison, but you can find 
you know, these historical kind of circles that are happening and now they're happening much faster, right? Yeah. They used to happen, you know, a hundred years apart, et cetera. Now they're happening every couple of decades. And it's, I think that, I think that speed is only going to increase as, as technology obviously grows in speed as well. Okay. So I, I, I was interested, you, know, you mentioned obviously Morgan Stanley and they're coming out saying by 2040, the space assets industry, i.e. people investing in spaces, you know, could be worth like a trillion dollars. But just going back to um, some real practical things that are happening now, what, what sort of projects are people investing? How can they get access? Because I thought you had to be some like Richard Branson or Bezo or, you know, um, you know, Tesla, you know, Elon Musk. I thought you had to be super wealthy if you're going to get or NASA, obviously, where they've got this sort of checkbook of Uncle Sam. So how can, you know, Joe Bloggs get involved in, you know, and what's, what sort of involvement would they get involved in, in investing in space then? Uh, well, kind of, as I mentioned before, there's, there's two sides of it. So, you know, you can take a look at what we're releasing first is our marketplace end. Um, so you can take a look at, you know, our first major um, commercial case on it, uh, which we feel sets the, the kind of the digital commercialization standard for physical payload and, and cargo in space. So this is for Lunar Outposts um, Map Rover, um, which is scheduled to land on the moon, launches on SpaceX, Intuitive Machine lands it on the moon on the lunar south pole. Um, and it's pretty much the first ever like private commercial lunar mission. And hang on, Grant, that's end of this year? Um, actually, uh, it'll probably happen in the first half of 2023. Space. Right. Space scheduling tends to be relatively flexible on various various parameters, but we're we're launching uh, we we're launching the sales around it um, this year. So in in that case, we're you know we're using our platform and NFTs to do two things. Uh, one is provide an actual market for space companies, the services, products, what we call space assets. Uh, in this case, it's physical payload that's going to the moon. Uh, so we allow companies or entities to a buy physical rights uh, and ownership of that payload so that they can place various types of cargo uh, within it. So we built a whole interface process that allows uh, lunar outposts or whoever's selling these assets to go back and forth, share agreements uh, with this entity because, you know, you can't treat it 100 percent automated because they need to know what you're trying to put up there, et cetera. Um, but so then, Grant, hang on, Grant. So is that is that a bit like me buying a ticket to ride? So I'm I can buy a ticket to sort of take my payload to space in that right. Space. So you get your rights and your ownership of it through an NFT. Once the transaction's finished and and confirmed, that that automatically gets minted and sent to your wallet with um, related rights, etc., embedded in the metadata. Um, and the cool thing, you know, the big value is that's one end of it, but you have an actual asset then, right? Yep. And you can then transform that asset to represent your actual cargo, right? Yep. And embed further utility, customize it in different ways and fractionalize it and then resell it on the retail market, right? So that's the way that, you know, Johnny Fry can have, you know, fractional ownership of something that's legitimately on the moon and there's certain utilities or access or value that's also provided within the ownership of that asset, and you have a secondary market for it as well. 
right? Um, so, you know, we, for the first two to three years, which we think it'll take about three years for us to just kind of be a standard uh, within the economy, um, we team up with great space companies. Remember, we're a Web3 marketplace, so we only control the entry points. We're non-intermediary around um, the assets or the transactions. So we team up with great space companies to find a valid commercial case that sets a standard for a vertical in the market. Once again, in this case, physical payload. Uh, execute that like, you know, a Hollywood premiere, a great NFT drop and and uh, create, you know, a new space, a true space asset out of it that also enables the retail market to have access and real economic ownership in space for the first time, right? The financing thing will come next year. That's when we plan to bring that out. So kind of this regulated DeFi applications that enable the retail market to finance space ventures or the creation of space assets. Okay, and do you see the financing of space assets? Do you see, see the, if you like, the vehicle you're probably going to use as an NFT, or, or is that going to be a different type of vehicle? Uh, there's, there's going to be various tokenization models, but NFTs are great is because you can, you can really embed a, a, a lot of you know, features tied into rights, um, et cetera. So uh, we're very NFT-driven um, in, in how we apply things now, but we'll see how various, you know, we're going to be dealing with security tokens as well, right? So um, we'll have a, a variety of tokens we'll be applying eventually. Right. So some of the stuff's going to be regulated, some's not, but it, it may come under the label of, digital assets which may be some may be um what we now know as security tokens no, these will be listen these majority of this stuff will be securities in what we call a space pool right so the space pool is the financing DeFi application and then we have what we call the space mart for now which is the marketplace and that that turns these space assets tokenizes them and turns them into like true space assets um mm-hmm. so so that's kind of the double-headed monster that that we're providing Okay. And you also talk in your article about um, PwC and they're talking about tokenization or tokenizing space assets such as asteroids and, and the moon. So yeah. this, this is something which obviously, you know, some of the bigger global entities are now seriously looking at and no good just staring at the stars. They're looking at how can they capitalize on the stars. Yeah, we, we have, it's a lot closer than people think and understand. Once again, there's this big misconception about what the space market really is and what it's doing and what's the actual value that it provides. And um, when it comes to things like that, uh, you know, we even have use cases that we're starting to work on with partners that are focused around uh, mining rights on the moon <clears throat> and various other types of applications of, of how to really create a marketplace and an economic model and system for all these new type of assets that are going to be emerging that, you know, we even shared on, on Twitter the other day, you know, just a post where, Hey, there's this one planet that is completely covered in diamonds and graphite. It's worth uh, a number a monetary figure that we don't even understand. You know, if you told that figure to the average person, they don't even know how to picture that in their head. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, there's, there's something coming that, that I don't think people realize the magnitude of not just economically, but as far as like actual benefits and applications on earth, you know, like satellite, people don't get how satellite data and imagery is going to change and improve so many things. If we really focus in on that. Okay. And, and the other thing, we have an expression in the UK where the, where there's muck, there's brass, uh, where there's, where there's, where there's rubbish or you think it's rubbish is that you can actually make brass or you can make some cash. And I understand you've been talking to the deputy 
president of the United States about clearing up some of the muck, some of the old satellites and some of the old bits and pieces floating around in space at the moment, because that's obviously another challenge. We don't want to go and clutter up the space because that's going to then start crashing into some of these satellites, which are very valuable for communications and traffic and all the rest and crops and all the rest of bits and pieces. Uh, yeah, so space debris, which what you're referencing, and and yeah, we got um, comparing space. A lot of our early activity, kind of on the ground, community work was in the Lompoc and Vandenberg Space Force Base area. Um, so you know, we're pretty known around there, and and we were invited by uh, Kamala Harrison and the White House to uh, join her at this event that she this private gathering she did uh, at Vandenberg, Vandenberg Space Force Base focused around space debris uh, specifically. And, and Kevin O'Connell, we just announced this formally, but he's worked with us for a while. So uh, this is former director of space commerce at the U.S. Department of Commerce, also, uh, also used to work in, in the vice president's office around space. Um, he just joined Copernic Space, and he has a big focus around space debris and all these companies that are going to be emerging. For example, Steve Wozniak's new company, Privateers, focused around space debris data specifically. And he's um, the ex-Apple ex guy, isn't he? Just for listeners. Yeah. Uh, so the co-founder and actually, you know, the, the real creator, let's say, of Apple computers as far as yeah. technologically. Um, so uh, these these companies and this economy needs a new type of what we call economic operating system. Uh, that is mainly going to be fueled by the wider commercial and retail market, especially when it comes to financing. Uh, the way the models are today work the way that they work today, uh, but they're not built for this both commercial as well as capital scalability uh, and access that is needed for the space of economy to, to grow. And something that, you know, generally markets are getting used to, you know, through various applications of fintech and crypto and, you know, we just view ourselves as, as you know, the, the platform that all this economic uh, activity sits on and, and facilitate that and provide the tools and features that, that allow these space companies as well as the average person to um, benefit from the space economy in various ways. So instead of being the London Stock Exchange or the New York Stock Exchange or the Polish Stock Exchange, um, you could be the Space Exchange. Uh, yeah, in various ways, you can look at it that way. It's just we provide, especially through the marketplace, you know, true utility function and, and features uh, that go beyond just it being an asset class, right? So I mentioned the satellite data aspect. We apply NFTs, for example, in a way to where you'll be able to acquire a license to take X amount of photos. That's an NFT. And through that NFT, you directly access the interface or the API to request satellite imagery to be taken for you and, you know, download it or, or save it in the ways you, you deem fit. Yeah. Um, so we're looking really to apply a solution on, on top of just creating this exchange sort of format of, of space assets, as you called it. Right. And, and again, another good example, we've talked about it um, several uh, over the last few weeks about really the national boundaries that we've you know we've been brought up and we're used to and certainly being enforced by um regulations in many many jurisdictions that they are very much breaking down when it comes to digital assets and and clearly when you're talking about space assets then you know we're not talking about national boundaries because no one owns space per se you know we um you know we need something which is very much 
a different way of thinking about how do we effectively develop finance and you know bet the rest of the world can benefit from some of the opportunities in space right yeah we've thought about that a lot you know you know my background johnny we've known each other for years so you know i've been around kind of regulatory technology especially around around crypto for for years before i launched formally copernic space so you know you can apply that in in various ways now to the space economy even though there are technically very few regulations, you know, James and, and I were going back and forth before the call. He was mentioned the FAA. So there's a few kind of regulatory things that do exist. But, um, you know, I was even with a lawyer on uh, with a space focused lawyer on a call last week. And, and she was talking about, listen, we're watching you guys because, you know, there's really nothing stopping you guys to push these boundaries in a lot of ways. And, and also for us as a Web3 platform, as these aren't technically our assets yeah. um, and we're facilitating, you know, agreements, uh, accepting terms and conditions between parties, we implement whatever legal standards do apply today uh, around space or general business into the platform. So like Lunar Outpost, the Chinese national can't buy fractional ownership of uh of ownership of payload on lunar outpost rover right they're an american space company they can't do that we implement you know very smartly uh within smart contracts and our kyc processes a way to uh, mitigate that a way to do that and uh not just on the primary sale but also on the secondary market which is hosted on our market okay so so grant i think that's really important you're you're not laying down the rules of who can and cannot do things but what you can do is give people a tool set to say if you want certain people or certain countries or certain industries to not, um, you know, participate um, both on the initial sale and in any primary transactions, you know, using smart contracts and technology, now you, that can be laid down in a structure so that it, it kind of actually does away with a lot of the ongoing, as we would normally call it, verification, compliance and monitoring, because it is it, embedded into the code of the contract of what you've actually done. So, it should make ongoing costs a lot, 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 lot cheaper for those involved that are using these types of digital assets. Well, unfortunately, I still need to engage, you know, third parties who specialize, you know, companies like CoinFirm that I built, helped build previously, you know, that, that we implement within the platform to work in the system. You know, there's great companies also, um, such as Lunargistics, which is also applying blockchain to streamline compliance in space. Because there's various other stuff happening in the background before it becomes this asset on the marketplace that they need to go through from a regulatory perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So I love what you said, because really, we're, we're not there to dictate. We're there to provide the tools and the features that allow okay. the space companies or the users to use the platform as, as they need. Brilliant. James, I'm, I'm mindful we're sort of coming towards the end of the show. I'm also aware you've been um, roped in um, to um, looking at well, getting your rocket outfit on. In your local, where you live locally, they're looking at potentially doing some sort of space launch pad. So you're, you are au fait with this topic. Any thoughts before we close out this week? Yeah, and I was going to say it's funny because I, you know, I'm talk NFT and crypto all day, and I'm slowly personally becoming familiar with uh, the space industry. And not even because of Camden, where I live. Um, it was initially another project that wanted to go out, and, and I believe they're going to. Uh, you know, explore the amount of space junk that is out there to try to get a grasp of how to clean it up. And, you know, like Grant was saying, there's a lot of projects out there and they're all interested in, in similar 
aspects and, and goals. What you, what I'm hearing here, which is great for what I'm talking about, because so I'm here, everybody knows, I live in Camden County, Georgia, which is the river that separates Florida from Georgia, pretty much Florida. And we're, we have the FAA license to build out uh, one of what would be three vertical launch sites over here on the East Coast. And, and I'm active in it because of my role in the community, uh, politically-wise and, and knowledge-wise. So they've asked me to take that on a little bit. And I'm like, I don't know anything about space other than you know my, my personal info. So what I'm learning here uh, from Grant, though, it's that what I'm getting out of this is you don't have to be a billionaire, right? So you and I, Johnny, and, and my son, we could almost crowdfund... Uh, a specific request via an NFT, maybe for like you said, satellite imagery. So, so, if, and correct me if I'm wrong. Stop me. So I said to Camden County, "Hey guys, let's let's put together, you know, whatever the X fee is, but it's not a billion dollars, right? We know it's a it's going to be on a marketplace as an NFT, and let's have um, have Grant's company take a satellite image of our new vertical spaceport." for marketing purposes. That's something that's within our reach soon. Is that what I'm hearing? That's, that's cool that you said that, that I'm very use case driven. So we have a guy on our, on our advisory board, Bobby, who, who's a, a data focused guy from, from space. And he was just, you know, we're really big about proving and showing the wider commercial market for space um, on this like very fast streamlined B2B, B2C level. Um, so one thing he was like, I, you know, I do music as well and I have, a, I have a concert agency and, and he was like, well, why don't we, you know, wouldn't festivals want satellite pictures of their stuff. And, and you mentioned, you know, what, what you just said right there, which actually kind of fits that, that model. So it's cool that you say that. Uh, the other thing is, you know, just so you understand, you know, how it can be applied in various ways. I'm literally going to read this off of our, uh, discord, um, chat where where some member asked what would you guys want to send to the moon because in that lunar outpost case we you know we do actually allow you to send something physically to the moon uh and and this guy said i'd want to send anything minnesota vikings right i'm a detroit lions fan so i gave him a little crap for that but um uh, i told him because he's like okay well i don't even know how to go about doing this i'm well you can put in like a, a, a Vikings fan micro DAO, like a little DAO. Everybody puts together to fund a moon trip of something physical, you know, to the moon for the Vikings and just transform that NFT to represent your physical, you know, cargo and fractionalize it. And then you can, you know, resell it to the wider market or Viking fandom, right? Like there's lots of different economic models you can play around with and apply with, uh, apply when it comes to how we're building this this platform and and allowing people to access and do things in space so i mean the marketing you know, alone right the vikings would be all over that they'd, they'd wind up having it on one of their games say hey, we're up in the moon yeah um l listen really our our biggest other than you know just capacity and and things like that as a company and executing everything we we have planned or can do etc you know, the biggest struggle that we face is really education and communication, right? It's such new, it's such, like no one's ever came up to somebody and be like, hey, you want to go to the moon? Like literally, you, you know, go to the moon. As we mentioned, this is really the first kind of commercial lunar case uh, that exists in that manner. 
Um, so, you know, the guys at Lunar Outpost, along with us, you know, are, are doing something that's quite revolutionary. And, and there's a lot of revolutionary things that become very normal within a short amount of time. Um, it's not the easiest thing to for people to swallow right away. So it's it's uh, but people are getting it more and more. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the call, even the past couple months since we spoke, the awareness, the activity that's happening in this combination of like Web3 accessibility of the space, et cetera, is absolutely mind blowing. And, and you know, we were right, so to say. <laughs> I think that's great. Johnny, yeah, the education of it, uh, even like what I'm dealing with the spaceport here, not even about crypto or NFTs, but the education of going up in space, why it needs to be in space, what you can do in space and how it benefits the, the earth is is key so i applaud you for that and johnny i applaud you for even knowing him <laughs> all right well look grant thank you very much for coming um back on the digibyte show and uh good luck i'm sure we'll get you back um probably after the summer to give you an update and obviously let me know when you're next um in london because you're in poland today aren't you let me know when you're in london we're going to have a beer be nice to catch up with you I'd love, I'd love to do it i miss london a little bit to be honest good good and um, I, I love the fact that your mum's involved and she's Lady Rocket, which is Yeah, she actually cool. just landed here the other day to meet my grandson, newborn, and she's actually asleep pretty much behind me in my office. Oh, she's <laughs> Granny Rocket. Yeah, she's Granny Rocket now. <laughs> oh, good stuff, good stuff. All right, well, thanks very much indeed for coming on. And uh, James, that's, uh, that's another show. Um, thanks for getting things organised. And uh, Grant, before we go, sorry, I did mean to say, if anyone wants any more information about some of the stuff you're doing, um, what's the best way to um, contact you on uh, LinkedIn or? At Copernic Space on Twitter, C-O-P-E-R-N-I-C Space on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and go to our website, CopernicSpace.com and sign up for the, the wait list for the first lunar asset. Fantastic. So there you go. So if you want to send something up into Rocket, maybe I don't know, maybe your best friend, or maybe maybe uh, maybe your ex ex wife, you want to send her up there. Who knows? Um, James, I wouldn't mind sending you up there. You could be the first man in space to sort of this a uh, heavy rock dude. I'm ready. Send me. Let's go. <laughs> Fly me to the moon. Literally. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, Grant. Thanks, James. And uh, that's another week of Digital Bites, and we'll be back on the air. Um, James and I next week with a new guest and more updates on what's happening in sort of blockchain and digital asset sectors.